Good morning to the church that uh, meets here in ARPC. We continue a series of studies from uh, the Lament Psalms, Book 3, and today we are looking at Psalm 86. And after this week, one more Lament Psalm, and then we're done with Lament Psalms for the meantime. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to keep it open at Psalm 86 because uh, uh, we will be reading through the verses, and I will not be showing it uh, on the screen. Firstly, have you ever found yourself in a trouble that was a result of your own doing? You know, the kind of trouble that Asian parents would say, serves you right. Or Chinese parents, ho kai, if you heard of that. Trouble which your friends would remark, well, you asked for it, buddy. You know, I have had my share of deserved troubles. I remember an exam day in high school. I finished the paper ahead of time, and so puffed up with pride, I sat there restlessly clicking my ballpen. Click, 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 it was a Parker clicker. And instead of humbly going through my paper again, I looked around, I invited attention, telling my classmates, hey, I'm done, you know, what's taking you guys so long? The classmate seated behind me wasn't as smart as I was, because he didn't study, and so he poked me to uh, let him peek at my paper. And so that was what I did. I held my paper high enough for him to copy my answers, and that act got the two of us into trouble, deserved trouble. The school principal must have caught the entire heist on CCTV, uh, because shortly after, we were summoned to meet him in the office. I was still living in sin at that time. I did not know Jesus, but I prayed to any God out there. And uh, what did I pray? Well, it was this. It was a save me, I won't do it again kind of prayer. Save me, I won't do it again. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Example, this coming Wednesday, many children will pray, God, if you let me meet the cutoff mark, I promise to study more and game less. Or, Lord, if you uh, let me get back my money, I won't ever give in to greed again, which means I will stay away from crypto. God, if you make the judge reduce my sentence, that will be the last time I smoke. Or I heard a husband say, Lord, if you do not let my wife find out, I won't do it again. These are some of the save me, won't do it again kind of prayers that you and I sometimes may utter. Which is why Psalm 86, the psalm that we are looking at today, is instructional for us when we are in trouble and when we find ourselves praying the save me, won't do it again prayer. So look at verse 1, Psalm 86, verse 1 and following. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, 
For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Verse 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So from verses 1 to 7, we glean that the psalmist is in trouble. Well, he tells us so. Verse 7 tells us, In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, he tells God. And it is serious trouble. It is distress that threatens his very life. That's why in verse 2 he says, Preserve my life, he pleads God. Save your servant, he cries. But what basis does he give God, or does he give, for God to help him? What are, what, what, what are some of the reasons that he gives for God to listen to him? You know, the high school student that I was, I did not have any basis, perhaps only maybe just desperation. That was why I prayed to any God out there. But the psalmist, he has some basis. He brings out a few reasons. Firstly, he says, he is poor and needy, meaning that he is in dire need of help. Then he says he is godly, meaning that he belongs to the faithful ones. Thirdly, he says he cries out all day. That is, he is persistent in his pleading, day from day to night. Next, he cries out only to the true God. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, he says. So unlike me in high school, I cried out to any God out there. But the psalmist is directing his plea to only one, the Lord. And so we glean that the psalmist here is really in distress because he lists down many reasons, the many bases why God must hear his pleas. And sometimes... We do that too, don't we? We enumerate reasons for God why He should really consider getting us out of trouble. Reasons like, you know, God, I'm really in deep trouble. Reasons like, I belong to the church. I attend online services, sometimes on-site services. I've been praying from morning to evening. I cry out only to you, no other, but you, God. Like the psalmist in trouble, we too may come up with a number of reasons for God to attend to us. But what is the common thing with all our reasons, with the ones that the psalmist gives? Well, one, yes, they all reveal desperation. See, from his cries and from the reasons that he gives, you noted that he was very, very desperate. But secondly, they all somehow present to God what the petitioner has done. Did you notice that? Did you notice a lot of eyes? I am poor. I am needy. I am godly. I cry out to you only. One common thing is that the petitioner is banking on what he has done what he is doing, and what he is experiencing. So when I read this, I wonder if these are sufficient and acceptable reasons for God to hear the psalmist, please. But the psalmist does not tell us if they are acceptable. And yet the personal reasons he gives are listed 
to somehow show contrast, to show contrast to the one reason that would make his reasons inferior. And which is this reason? That reason is found in verse 5. He says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So what basis does the psalmist have for God to listen to his cry? He lists many. We saw that his honesty reveals like he's just like you and me. But then he singles out one superior reason for God to listen to him. And what is that? It is God's character. God's character. God is good. God is forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. This is the deal clincher for God to listen to him. And so first point in today's message, God's steadfast love and forgiveness gives reason for the psalmist to ask the Lord humbly to listen to his pleas and rescue him from trouble. You see, he pleads God to be gracious to him and to save him from his trouble, his deserved trouble, by appealing to God's never-failing love and forgiveness. So as you can see, it's not save me, won't do it again prayer, but it's save me because you are loving and forgiving. It's not because of what we have done or what we will do. It's because of God. It's because of His forgiveness and His unfailing love. And so I suggest to you that is the first instruction that this psalm gives us. Next point. Slide comes up. God's steadfast love and deliverance leads the psalmist to praise the Lord for His end purpose and learn reverent obedience. So from verse 8 onwards to verse 13, the second section of this psalm, let's read that. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. The psalmist's prayer declares the Lord's ultimate goal. Did you notice that? That in the finality, all peoples shall worship and magnify the name of the Lord who alone is God. And so we learn from his prayer then that he seeks the long-term outcome, that all will bow before the Lord. We learn that he does not just seek the short-term outcome, the outcome of, you know, get me out of this situation. Uh, this is another instruction for you and I. That is, that we seek God's long-term desire, his ultimate goal, and not just our immediate short-term desire. 
And so if your present trouble is, example, a chronic disease, this psalm shows you that you could pray for relief. You could say, hear my prayer, for I am poor and needy. Save me from this pain. And yet, you may want to add a prayer of praise. You may say, though my outward self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. You may want to add praise to God and say, when this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Why? Because our continuing renewal, our sanctification, and our eventual glorification, they are God's long-term goal for us. And so seek God's long-term desire, not just our short-term wants. Now in this same section, we also see that the psalmist's prayer seeks reverent obedience. We see that he is not fixated on just a quick fix of the present. Verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. From verse 11, there is an implied confession of waywardness because now he asks to be instructed in God's righteous ways. No longer to walk in the counsel of the wicked, Psalm 1-1, but now to walk in God's truth. And so though this psalm encourages us to cry for immediate help in times of trouble, it must not end there, friends. It must lead to renewal. Teach me. Unite my estranged heart. It goes further beyond, save me, won't do it again, to save me, teach me, and change my heart. Which means that for the one who asks the Lord to save him from his money trouble or his crypto trouble, it will not do to just promise, I won't fall into greed again, Lord. Because the instruction offered in this psalm is to pray, teach me your way, O Lord. So yes, cry to the Lord to save you from financial troubles, but then tell your soul to pray, teach me that godly contentment is great gain. Rescue me from a divided heart that wants to worship God on the one hand and worship money on the other hand. Rescue me from this divided heart and unite my heart to cause my heart to worship only one master. Make me learn whether in plenty or in need, Jesus is sufficient and he will strengthen me. And so the psalmist does not just pray for a quick get-out-of-jail card. He prays to learn God's ways, to fear him, and to obey him. God's steadfast love and deliverance leads the psalmist to praise the Lord for his end purpose and learn reverent obedience. Last point, as you can see, we will end service soon. God's steadfast love, mercy, grace, 
faithfulness, and his slowness to anger spurs the psalmist to plead rescue from the wicked who are out to harm him. So look at the last section, verse 14 onwards. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So in this last section of the psalm, we are given more details of the troubles that he is facing. And what are those details? Well, we know that he's got enemies. And these men who are out to harm him are not just his personal enemies. They are enemies of God as well. Because David says, they do not set you, Lord, before them. They have no regard for the Lord. Now, that the enemies, that they are enemies of the Lord could have been sufficient leverage for the psalmist, isn't it? It could have been sufficient leverage for him to ask the Lord to bring them down, to destroy them, and then to save him. He could have done that. However, in this psalm, unlike the other psalms, we do not see any plea for God to attack David's enemies. We do not see David asking God to destroy him. David's humble plea is simply for God to spare him, to save him. Be gracious to me. Save the son of your maidservant. That is his lowly ask. Now, could it be that the psalmist deemed that his trouble is deserved trouble? That is why his plea was simply for God, whom he calls his strength, to protect him, to save him? I would believe so. Recall David when he was one time running away from Absalom, who was out to kill him. As he was running away with his armies, there was a man by the name of Shimei. Shimei saw David and his army, and what did Shimei do? Shimei threw stones and flung dusts to David and his armies. And then Shimei cursed David, saying, You worthless man, you man of blood. Now David's commander, Abishai, he got angry. And then he offered, he said, Your Highness, give me the command, and I'll chop off his head. Uh, that's me paraphrasing, by the way. And David told Abishai, If he is cursing because the Lord ordered him to do so, why stop him? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. And so David reckoned, the psalmist, that there were times he deserved opposition from enemies, even God's enemies. And that seems to be the case in this psalm. And that is why he prays not for the enemies to be destroyed, but for him to be rescued and kept safe by God's strength. 
In the midst of his deserved trouble, he asks for deliverance because he firmly believed that the steadfast love of the Lord will keep him. He says, But you, O Lord, are a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, friends, by now, you will have noticed that the Lord's steadfast love is a constant refrain in this psalm. Did you notice that? Verse 5, we are told that the Lord is good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. And then in verse 13, we are told that the Lord's steadfast love is great and rescues the psalmist from death. And now in verse 15, it appears in expanded form. In its complete form, the Lord is merciful, the Lord is gracious, long-tempered, faithful, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, the origin of this expanded form in verse 15 finds its source in Exodus 34. Now, we just studied Exodus not too long ago, and so you must remember the story. God's people have just committed the sin of idolatry. They worshipped the golden calf that Aaron had made. They broke the covenant, and this was symbolized by Moses' Moses's breaking of the stone tablets of commands. The Lord now has every right to void His covenant, but He stuck on to His promise, the promise that He gave Abraham. And so he ordered Moses to climb Mount Sinai again, poor Moses, carrying with him two blank tablets of stone. It is a renewal of the covenant. It is take two. Why? And the Lord gives the reason. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So how do we know that God is merciful? How do we know that He is gracious, that He is uh, long-tempered, that His love is steadfast, it's loyal? Well, you could say we may have observed Him from what He has done uh, to His people, but more importantly, we know these qualities because they are what God Himself says of Himself. God Himself says He is merciful. He Himself says He is gracious. He says He is slow to anger, abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. He says these of Him Himself. And because God is whom He says He is, God's people survived God's anger in the golden calf incident. God showed mercy, and the journey to the promised land resumes. And so look back at Psalm 86. What dares the psalmist to ask God to rescue him from his deserved trouble? What is his overarching basis? Well, it is his firm belief that God is whom He says He is, that He is overflowing with steadfast love, 
that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger. The revealed character of God guides him to pray this prayer in Psalm 86. It motivated him to humbly plead rescue from trouble. It led him to praise the Lord for his glorious end and to seek correction and obedience. It spurred him to plead rescue from the wicked who are out to harm him. And so, friends, in the midst of this, his deserved trouble, notice that the psalmist, he did not pray, save me, won't do it again, the kind of prayer that you and I sometimes may pray. Instead, he prayed, and he instructed us to pray, save me because you are loving and forgiving. Save me, teach me, and change my heart. Because that is the aim of God's steadfast love, His mercy and grace. For us to see the trouble we are in and our need for rescue. For us to see the goodness of obedience to God's Word and His vindicating salvation. You know, this beautiful truth about God's steadfast love, grace, and mercy, this truth about God, is actually an invitation for all to experience. Regardless of who you are, or what you've done, or what trouble you've gotten yourself into. Remember when God sent the prophet Jonah to preach repentance to uh, the hated Ninevites? Jonah resisted. Remember that? He resisted because of what? He resisted because of the truth of Psalm 86, verse 15. He resisted because of Exodus 34, verse 6. He resisted because, he says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah resisted because he knew God's mercy, grace, steadfast love, and long temper is up for grabs no matter who you are, what you've done, or what trouble you've gotten yourself into. Today, God's steadfast love, mercy, and grace is seen in the giving of His Son, Jesus. This Son came to die and pay for our sins so that we who believe in him, follow him, and walk in his ways, shall have life. This son rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of God, and he is returning to judge the living and the dead. But what's keeping him from returning now, today, or tomorrow if he should delay? Well, it's God's patience. It's his long temper. It's his desire that everyone come to repentance because he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Because his final aim is that all the nations shall come and worship before the Lord. Let us pray. We give thanks, Father, that we are recipients of your steadfast love, your mercy, and your grace. And so help us to bank on this beautiful truth whenever we find ourselves in trouble, that we come before you boldly 
looking unto your rescue because of your goodness, because of your grace, because of your mercy. Help us also to be emboldened to share about your steadfast love to others, that they may also experience your mercy and your goodness. And so at the return of Jesus, all of us will bow our knees before your Son and glorify your name forever. In Jesus' name we pray.